Hi, I'm Jessica Hawkins, and you're listening to the Everything F1 podcast, driven by the fans for the fans. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today we're talking the Monza Grand Prix and all the things that happened over the weekend. We've got lots to talk about, so let's jump on in. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. And alongside me today, from the Everything F1 team, we've got Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, we've also got Sean. How are you doing, Sean? I am extremely well. Thank you very much. I won't ask how you are because you just answered that one. I did. But we can ask Tom, uh, other member. How are you, Tom? Very well. Thanks. Very well. Ready and raring to go. We are the Everything F1 team. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We've got a Discord server. Uh, and you can find us at the website www.everythingf1.com and on all those social media platforms at the handle at joinef1. We're going to talk today about the Italian Grand Prix that we've just witnessed over the weekend. Uh, and to say we've got a lot to talk about would be, well, it would be an understatement. So without further ado, we'll go over to Coops first. And can you give me a three-line review uh, of the weekend in Monza? McLaren 1-2, McLaren 1-2, McLaren 1-2. So we are not-so-secret McLaren fans. Uh, you can uh, see where Coops is going with his uh, ha- and how much he enjoyed the weekend. Uh, we'll go over to Sean. What, can you give a three-line review for the weekend? Uh, return of the Shoei. Nice. Uh, um, championship hots up. Yep. And George in the points again. And Tom, can you round up the three-sentence review for uh, the Monza Grand Prix weekend? Uh, yeah, uh, Bottas bounces back. Mm. Championship rivals collide. And um, Danny Rick does it again. Back on form. So, without further ado, this is our Monza Grand Prix review. Okay, so... We can't go any further without mentioning the mighty Papaya. It's one of our favourite teams here at the Everything F1 podcast, McLaren. They were 1-2 and they had an absolutely fantastic weekend. Uh, we'll go to Coots first because he's very excited to talk about it. Can you uh, tell us tell us how excited you were on the day? Did you shed a tear like I did? Uh, just one. Oh, there was a few. <laughs> uh, uh, it was just... It, it, just before the pit stops, I, I, I was sitting and I was thinking, this isn't the most exciting race in the world. Although mm. Ricardo was at the front, I thought everything's going okay, nobody's challenging. And, uh, and then, of course, that happened. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing that struck me was the fact that this wasn't a, an Alpine Ocon stumbled to first place because everybody took everybody out. They were there on yeah. merit. Absolutely. Uh, and they were up for the one even before uh, Verstappen and Hamilton uh, turned their cars into a multi-storey car park. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, we, we've, we were all there before the podcast started. We were all McLaren fans watching the Honda Gears with the car at the back of the grid. And you were just like, when is this going to end? And it has. And I'm getting a wee bit emotional thinking about it and now. It's just, it's a long time coming. It's amazing. It, it was an absolutely stunning drive from Danny Rick. Um, he performed brilliantly all weekend, really. Um, and and that first corner was just, it was just supreme. He, he, he That corner was his before... Before he even started, before they, before the lights had gone out, he he had it in his mind that that corner is going to be mine, and he just absolutely stamped his authority all over it. What do you think, Sean? I I was crying by the end of it. <laughs> um, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I actually even you know hedged my bets and stuck a fiver on him to to win it because 
Um, just the starts. I mean, McLaren have been good at that all year. Mm. Um, and I knew just after once he nailed the start in the sprint race that he had something we'd seen in F two. Mm-hmm. And and even the Porsche Cup over the weekend, that inside line was it might be the dirtier side of the track, but people were getting overtakes there from the start all weekend. Yeah. Um, so it was incredible, and they they just ended so many streaks. It's 170 races since they last won a race. Wow, Jensen Button 2012, mm. 220 Grand Prix since they last won one two. Ricardo is only the second driver in the turbo hybrid era to win with two teams. Wow, after Perez. Mm-hmm. Um. Lando had never finished in the top two. Um, it, it's like the, the stats from that race just go on and on and on. It's Ricardo's first victory since 2018. Um, apparently, it was race engineer Tom Sallard's 43rd birthday. What a weekend for him. <laughs> um, it, it, like the, I have this big, long list of facts. I won't read them all out, but suffice to say, this one will live long in the memory for sure. Oh, it will be. And it's it's just a testament to all the hard work that the whole team uh, has been putting in to make sure that McLaren does kind of achieve what it's what it's supposed to be achieving. Really, it's got such a a, a big name. It's got such a storied history. It absolutely needs to be back at the top. And it was just so exciting to see Tom. I want to go to you as well, um, just because it's great to have all thoughts. Can you mention a bit more about Lando Norris and, and his weekend as well, please? I thought it was a really mature drive from Lando, especially on Sunday, because. We all know how good a season he's had from the off. He's had a few podiums this season already, mm. including that pretty good one in Monaco. And it would have been very easy for him to say, "I'm I'm quicker than 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 Daniel. I want to go past. I want the win, all the rest of it." But we heard him. I think it was as they were coming out of the Parabolica, or um, or, or maybe on the main straight somewhere that, that he said, it, "If effectively, like keep Danny in front." He, you know, after Lando had initially said. He needs to speed up, which I think was not long after the safety car. Yeah. Lando realised very quickly that there was a real chance of a McLaren 1-2. And it reminded me a lot of um, the Jordan situation with, um, oh God, Damon Hill and Ralph Schumacher in Spa in about 98. Yeah. Now, I, don't, I don't remember that from the time because I was only four. <laughs> but, um, but, but obviously I've, I've seen the stuff afterwards. And, it, and Lando, bearing in mind he's only 21 or 22, he showed maturity way beyond his years to, to just sit back, not to, not get too close to, to Danny Rick because he, he didn't want to give a slipstream to Perez behind him. He managed the gap both in front of him and behind him really well. He managed his tyres really well. He had great qualifying throughout the weekend. You know, He did really well in the sprint event to get there. Like Sean said, both drivers were there on merit. Absolutely. And also Lando going into turn one, he didn't, overstep his mark and you, you know it wasn't like he tried to jump from P I think he started P3 by the time Bottas went to the back but he did he it wasn't like he also tried to get past Max and he wasn't super aggressive defending he just held his position he kept his nose clean and yeah Lando had a fantastic weekend he did he had a, a great weekend he was his defending against Lewis Hamilton you know the, the seven time world champion was really clean it was really mature. It was just very, very... He planted the car exactly where it needed to be um, and just performed amazingly um, all weekend. Do you think... Well, he he said he said in the after, after interviews that, you know, he potentially could have had a go at, at Danny Rick. Um, he doesn't know whether he'd be able to have passed him, um, but he certainly had more in him at the thing. So... The racer in him would have wanted to go through, but oh. yeah, he, like you said, the maturity was was there, and he kind of just said, "Well, you know what? I've, I've got my I've got my chance in the future. Perhaps it's better for the team and better for Danny Rick, you know, to, for him to break this duck again." Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Silla. At first, when I saw that McLaren were, were leading a one-two, then when I saw Lando saying that Danny needs to speed up. The Lando fan of me was saying, oh, oh my God, this is it. Lando's going to get his first win. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to start running around like a demented bison or something. But then <laughs> but then it was it, it became pretty apparent that Lando was more than happy to settle into that P2 role and play the team game. He'll have a lot more opportunities in the future, especially if McLaren continue on this upward trajectory, which they're currently on. And with that Mercedes pilot in the back, that car is a real threat at the moment, as we saw this weekend. We've said it before, we'll say it again. They were there on merit. Absolutely. 
Coops, I want to go back to you just again, just to close off the uh, the, the McLaren section, I guess, uh, of the podcast. But um, are we looking at a competitive team next year that's going to be you know, up there with the Mercedes team and the Red Bull team? Uh, do, is this momentum going to be carried forward? Are they going to have you know the great car next year as well to, to, to propel the two superstars that they've got in the cars uh, to the top? There's no reason why not. I mean, there's always there's going to be that uh, question of uncertainty with the new rules. Uh, but mm-hmm. they've got a, a very talented uh, designer and uh, James Key, who they took over from now Alpha Tauri, then Toro Rosso. So that's it's his car, effectively. Uh, engine isn't changing, and we know that's a, a that's a fast lump of in, uh, power unit in that car. So. Yeah, they've got a good balance. Uh, Ricardo seems to have sorted himself out in terms of braking and getting himself into the corners, because uh, that seemed to be his issue. Couldn't, wasn't comfortable on the braking, uh, and that's his mm-hmm. thing. So yeah, no reason why not. I just have to mention uh, after the safety car restart when Norris took the Ferrari at the Curva Grande and put a wheel on the grass. Wow, Are you wow. Yeah. Wow! Yeah. Oh, oh well, just he did it with style. Oh, he just, oh, he just sent it. He sent it. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, and just uh, another stat that I know Sean listed quite a few, but you know the McLarens are the only team this season to have a one-two. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. It just, it'd be, oh, it's just so good. Uh, and at the at the Italian kind of. Grand Prix as well, where Ferrari would have been looking for it to score as many points as possible because the, the competition is between the Ferrari and the, and the McLarens for that third place uh, in the constructors. So this would have stung, even though the Ferraris, and we'll go on to those in a minute, even though the Ferraris did perform uh, as well as could be expected for the, for them, um, it, w- it will have stung uh, that, that McLaren have taken so many points uh, off off the Ferrari team. Yeah, I think uh, Ferrari have kind of changed a wee bit over the years because... Over the years, Ferrari have done this thing where they've just, they might have had a crap car, but they've always been like, we need to design a car that in some way will be good in the Italian Grand Prix. That's mm-hmm. why you see them sitting in 8th, 7th, 6th, and all of a sudden in the front row when you come to Italy, like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, powered by pasta, the Ferrari race. Anyway, uh, so this year they've kind of went, no, we've got a season. So they were there or thereabouts, but yeah... Uh, after the one two, McLaren I think are now fifteen clear of Ferrari in the constructors. I think 40, fourteen and a half. Four. See these half points; it's not helping. It. It <laughs> oh, it's really annoying. It's, it's messing with your calculations. No, it's not. It just doesn't look right. Uh, Thir- 13, 13 and a half. Sorry, thirteen and a half. half. Okay, I get my own calculations I'm right. Ra- I'm rounding up. It's about fifteen points, uh, and they were a good few points behind. Uh, but it's uh, it's tasty. I mean, this season has flung up quite a lot of surprises. Uh, when you've got a, a, a Formula One season where one of the one of the most exciting races of the year was Paul Ricard, uh, shows you what kind of season we're having. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, let's move on from uh, McLaren. Do we have we, to? Do we have to? We, yeah, we, we we do have to. I I know it's in it's enjoyable and. And I genuinely, genuinely did have a tear in my eye. Uh, pretty much, well, I, I don't know, at several okay. points uh, as soon as I saw the cross the line. When when I heard the radio communication between Danny Rick, when I heard the com- radio communication between Lando Norris <laughs> and the team, when I heard the you know the, the interviews that Danny Rick had with the Sky reporter, I can't remember which one it was. He he looked like he was going to cry. She sounded mm. like she was crying behind the behind the microphone. Just it's an emotional day for uh, for a McLaren fan. But a we, friend of mine has had a bottle of of champagne. In in the fridge since 2012 that oh, she, wow. has, she swore to not open well I don't know if it was in the fridge at all time but she <laughs> bought a bottle of champagne in 2012 for McLaren's next win I think assuming they'd win the championship in 2013 and that didn't happen um, and then it all just went to after that uh, but she finally got to open it last night and I'm pretty sure she drank the whole thing straight out the bottle nice <laughs> and rightfully nice. so absolutely well let's let's put our more um non-biased heads on uh, and talk about the rest of the uh, the rest of the grid and the, uh, and the rest of the weekend um, well let's do you want to round up anything extra that you've got to say about the Ferrari team Sean um, 
I, th- I think you put the nail on the head. Like it was, it was damage limitation for them this week. Like, like Coop said, this wasn't a McLaren fluke victory. That like Alcon's victory was a bit of a fluke victory. Mm-hmm. This is a McLaren in insanely good form. It has been all season, but especially on these high speed tracks, um, which is where Ferrari were two years ago, dominating the high speed tracks. Um, and there's a fair few more of them to come. I mean, Sochi, Sochi in two weeks. That probably should suit McLaren as well. It's a very high-speed track. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was damage limitation for Ferrari, and it was very much a, a, a pointed victory for McLaren to retake third by some distance um, at Ferrari's home race. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I bet Ferrari are ruining themselves that Charles Leclerc DNS in Monaco because... That was that was a guaranteed twenty five points. Yeah, pole in Monaco, um, and they'd be ten points ahead now if they'd have if he'd have won that race. Um, so but you know, it's all swings good around. Performances and from Sainz and and Leclerc. Uh, uh, for, for sure, and even Charles Leclerc, I think, said in one of his interviews that he thought this was his most complete weekend of the season, and it's really hard to to, to argue with him. I thought he he drove very well. Mm-hmm. Um, he attacked where he could, but kind of you know knew when the fight was over um he was there thereabouts if if Perez and Bottas had had come to blows which they nearly did um Leclerc was there and even when they were starting to pull away he was able to just keep in touch with Perez's penalty um Sainz had dropped off just a little bit but it was an okay weekend for Ferrari they would have loved to be on the podium I would have actually loved to see Charles get up on that podium as well Mm. um I think that would have been great for Formula One and obviously for the Italian fans to see Ferrari and McLaren both on sharing a podium one two three again. It's been yeah. a very long time, but uh, no, okay, we came Ferrari. They'll they'll scratch it off as damage limitation and hope that some of the tighter, twistier tracks to come will 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 favour them. Okay, I just wanted to round up the uh, the Ferrari because we had started that already, um, but we can't go any further now without talking about the big incident that everyone's been talking about. Everyone's got an opinion on, uh, albeit them different and varying forms of the opinion so we'll go to tom can you can you in your in your opinion the incident at turn one slash two who who was to who was to blame was there any blame to be attributed to a driver or was it just a racing incident uh, and probably a little bit to, to do with the curbs go on give, give us your opinion honestly and I've I've said this before. I I think the incident wouldn't have been as bad had the sausage curb not have been there. The sausage curb was the main issue in this incident. I find because if you look at where yes Hamilton was in front of Max, but Hamilton was coming out of the pits on cold tires, and Max was already going full chat. I think he even had DRS down the straight. I can't remember if he had DRS or not. But the point is, there was a pretty big speed differential between the two cars because Hamilton was obviously accelerating hard, mm. but Max was already, you know, had his foot hard down. Yeah. So as they approached turn one, turn two, whatever you want to call it, there was room there, and Max was on the racing line. As they entered the corner, that gap closed, and it turned into effectively a wedge. Now, Max could have gone left early over those sort of rumble strips, but that would have risked damaging his car, like we saw with Pierre Gasly in the sprint session. Mm. So, but Max was already committed because the gap was there when he committed at the braking boards. So, in my view, now obviously I am just a fan, and I, I am I, I am a Verstappen fan, so I'm trying to be as impartial as I can. If those sausage curves wouldn't have been there, Max could have probably put his car over the curb maybe come out in front. If he'd have been ahead at that point, I'd imagine he would have handed the position back because mm. he would have probably passed Hamilton sort of like by putting four wheels off the track. Yeah. But we saw how violently that sausage curb launched his car onto the top of the Mercedes. And I just want to say, I am so... I don't want to sound all preachy, but thank Lord for the halo because we saw how close that wheel was to Hamilton's head and where that Red Bull was sitting. Yeah. So, first of all, I'm glad that both drivers were not seriously injured. I do think it's racing incident, and it wasn't helped by that sausage curb. I can, Having read the FAA document, I can understand why the FAA have penalised Max. And looking through the document, they have apportioned the majority of the blame onto him. Mm-hmm. 
they have taken into fa- they have taken into into consideration some mitigating factors from Hamilton's side, which is why I think it's only a three place grid penalty and not a more harsh sort of penalty all around. But my initial thought was a racing incident, and that's all I'm going to say on it. Fair enough. Okay, Coops, have you got a different opinion, or do you agree with the whole racing incident? No, Max knew what he was doing. The sausage cabs okay. have always been there. Max knew that the sausage cabs were there. So there, although yes, it flung the car up and yes, it put that rear wheel onto Hamilton's head effectively, which is a scary mm. looking thing. But oh, absolutely. You know, it's very much Prost Senna. Like, there's only one thing that's going to happen: is that gap is going to close. It's not and. Formula 1 drivers will always play the risk game and will always look forward. So that he knew, Verstappen knew exactly what it was going to happen. And it's just a sign. It's the old Max coming back in. He would either he would rather crash the car than lose the spot to, to Hamilton. And that's what he did. So that's why he got the three plays. Okay, Hamilton didn't give him a lot of space on the outside as he came out of the pits. He said he gave him space as he was turning into the, the second corner probably didn't give him as much as he could have done. But Max put the car there, knowing what was going to happen. And a, and a very telling point of that was, you know, Max is a very angry driver. You hear him over, even in free practice, what is the doing, what's he doing, you know, swearing and shouting. His car gets t- takes out Hamilton. He's, he comes out of the car and they went, oh well, that's what happens when you don't give me and you don't leave me space. So he was putting his car somewhere where he knew it was either going to be an incident or an incident. Mm. So well, he he had. It's worth noting that he he might have been a bit fired up because of his pit crew uh, gave him an eleven point two second pit stop, which is not used to at all. Um, uh, well, he's, a, pro- he's a professional racing driver. He should be able to control that emotion and play the long game. But it boils so down. Do you, th- do you think he? Do you think he was fired up because of that? Or well, do you think, he probably do you think he, was. He, do you think he probably was. But this is the thing: both temper. both of them are as bad as each other when it comes to this because they're going to be like Prosena. They're very much in a similar sort of fight. They would rather take each other out than lose the position to each other, and that's what mm. Verstappen did. You know, on reflection, Toto Wolff was probably right in saying it was a technical foul. He took one for the team. It's that last man thing when in football you know you're not mm-hmm. getting the ball you take the player because you know he's going to beat you straight through on, on goal with your goalkeeper Yeah. if he didn't pass Hamilton or didn't get round him he's going to lose the race more than likely because it's not an easy track to pass as much as people think so, and the and the Mercedes was quicker on the straights. Well, that, exactly. And, you know, so Monza is mostly straights. So well, there you go. And would have disappeared off into the distance. He would have. He wouldn't have had an opportunity because it was a one-stop race. So it was either Hamilton was passing him or he was taking Hamilton out. That was the way it looked. At. And it, although it's not a hundred percent his fault, because if it was, it would probably be a ten-place grid penalty, three-place grid penalty is the, the most lenient because he was. Mm. I think they worded it. He was predominantly to blame. Uh, and the and the and the the accident. So, yeah, I I just I think it was I think Max has to take that. Max knew what he was doing in terms of he wasn't going to come out of that corner. If he wasn't coming out first, none of the two of them were coming out of that corner. And it's exactly what happened. Okay, well that's a good. We got two opinions there voiced, so we we may as well get a third. Uh, Sean, what what's your opinion uh, on the whole incident? Um. I'm going to try and sit as much on the fence and be as unbiased about this as possible. <laughs> um, I, I, and I'll preface this by saying, I think racing incident. I think Lewis could have left more space. I think Max could have backed out much sooner. And even if he'd taken the sausage curb at a different angle, he'd have bounced over it. But we've seen people survive it. Yes, it would have hurt the car probably a little bit, but he had a better chance of at least scoring some points. Mm. What I would say, though, is Coop said there, and I've heard a lot of people say all season, this is Senna Prost all over again. It's not. It's not Senna Prost. Prost was very calm and calculated. This is Senna versus Senna. Yeah, yeah. We'll have, <laughs> we'll have, we'll have, it is. We'll have Senna versus Prost when Charles Leclerc is up there fighting. Leclerc is the Prost. Right. Verstappen is the Senna. This is not Senna Prost. It's Senna versus Senna. When you have two Sennas who are always going to go for a gap that exists, we're going to have a lot of crashes. A lot of them. And... Thankfully, and you're right, 
thankfully, thank whoever, thank the scientists who invented it that Halo exists and shame on all of us for saying that it's ugly because I actually think the cars look weird now looking back without the Halo. Um, (laughs) And even still, there's an argument still to be made that it's not quite good enough because Lewis did still get a tire to the head. Um, So there is still that area of it's not the full answer. Not to make the cup switch closed, that's a different question. But anyway... The, the, the two sides of it are, and, and I think, and I shared this with you earlier on, you know, Will Buxton put a big thread on his, uh, in, on his on his Twitter earlier on and made very good points. You know, Lewis was coming out of the pits and the onus is on him to leave more space. He didn't. Coops alluded to this. He did actually squeeze Max going into turn one. Um, and we saw a couple of years ago, Charles squeezed Lewis and Lewis got all agitated about it. And Charles was given the black and white flag. Maybe yeah. Max would have been had they continued, or maybe Lewis would have been had they continued, but he didn't leave him space. So that, but that's turn one. I know they kind of, the stewards kind of evaluated it as one turn, and that was a bit unfair on everyone to be to be uh, involved because it wasn't turn one. They both got through turn one fine. There was no issues. Lewis squeezed him a little bit wide, but they both got through turn one. It was turn two was the problem, and when you get to turn two, I think it was a, to- a an almost carbon copy version, although much slower than Silverstone. Max was on the inside, and Lewis turns in on him, doesn't leave him enough space. Arguably, in fact, not arguably, he doesn't leave him enough space. And they collide, and it's on the inside man to know that the space was closing, the door was shutting, and blah, 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 blah. And when Max turned in, in air quotes, on Lewis in Silverstone, everyone said, oh, Max knew there was a car on the inside, he should have left him more space. Same argument for Lewis. Equally, the argument was, Lewis should have backed out sooner, he knew Max was going to turn in. Same argument for Max. So it is an almost carbon copy. What I don't like is people saying, you know... If the last one was slam dunk Max's fault for turning in, well, then this one was slam dunk Lewis's fault and vice versa. If the last one was slam dunk Lewis's fault for, you know, uh, Max's, or Lewis's fault for not backing out, then this one was slam dunk Max's fault. It's the same incident at a slower speed, but equally could have had much, much worse consequences. Even like obviously in Silverstone, Max hit the wall of 52 G in this one. Lewis got a tire to the face. Mm. who's to say which is better both of them walked away thankfully I also don't like the argument that you know Max oh you sauntered away he was pissed off of course he was pissed off he was just taken out of the race and Lewis's car hadn't stopped yet Lewis was spinning his wheels backwards as far as Max is concerned he's the one pissed off out of the race Lewis is about to reverse and keep going so I I don't blame Max for walking off there Um, I think racing incident at the end of the day though they had to punish someone for it I think um, I do think a three-place grid penalty is really harsh because Lewis only got 10 seconds and it, at, the, at the end, it didn't affect his race. He still won. Um, but obviously, you know, they were both taken out of the race. They, the, the most lenient option they could give was a three-place grid penalty, mm. really. Um, although, I do actually think Red Bull will see this as a positive, to be perfectly honest, because they were probably going to take new engines for Max in Russia anyway. So if they're getting a penalty, they actually completely negate the penalty by looping that into their plan. So Russia was going to be a bit of an axe-off race for them anyway. Um, so actually, I don't think it's the worst thing that could have happened. And again, if that's the case, you know, Lewis got the 10-second penalty. It didn't affect him. Max is getting this penalty. All things considered, it's not going to affect him because they were going to take those penalties for Russia anyway. So, you know, arguments on both sides. I think racing incident, but I don't think this is the end of it. I think you could ban the two of them for a race and they'd still come back in the next race and <laughs> smash into each other in turn one. Um, it's not going to make a difference. It is Senna versus Senna. Neither of them is ever going to concede the position to the other because that's that's game over. Once one concedes the position, they never have that, that power over again. So... <laughs> Who, who knows maybe maybe Valtteri Bottas will win this championship because these two keep taking each other out but I, I sit on the fence I'd say racing incident but I can understand the penalty yeah I'm gonna just give you my opinion on it I, I think I think these things are racing incidents uh, I, I thought I thought this is the exact same thing as uh, the Silverstone one um, there is probably one percent either way um, to, to, to apportion blame but I don't want decisions. Um, and race results uh, dictated by the FIA. I want them dictated by the the, the racing on the track. And ultimately, um, the the punishment, you know, like you say, it, it, it might be a bit harsh. But I think with with good kind of management of pit stops and and whatnot, anyway, that I think they can negate a three a three place grid drop. Personally, um, I don't blame Max. I don't blame Lewis. Um, I. I can kind of see that there wasn't enough of a gap, but I can also kind of see that... My, my argument for the gap is Max Verstappen was a bit too far back 
before the breaking zone of turn one. Um, so he wasn't really side by side before going into turn one. He was side by side because he'd out, out kind of broken himself into turn one. And that's why he was halfway up. I don't think he was halfway up because he had the, he was, he was in control. Yeah, I don't think he was in control of the completely. You know, uh, when he was, he was never up. alongside anybody. I mean, the stewards no. released a wee thing here, and it says the stewards observed the CCTV footage of the driver of car forty-four was driving an avoiding line, although his position caused car thirty-three to go into the curb. But further, the stewards observed that car thirty-three was not at all at all alongside car forty-four until significantly into 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 turn one. In the opinion of the stewards, the maneuver was was attempted too late for the car of driver 33 to have the right to racing room. Well, car 34 could have steered further into the curb, further from the curb to avoid the incident, the stewards determined that his position was reasonable and therefore find that the driver of car 33 was predominantly to blame for the incident. In coming to the penalty, the stewards emphasised that they have only considered the incident and not the consequences. So that's more to do with the fact that the two of them ended up retiring and they didn't give them a, a, a lenient punishment. But it's basically them saying, look, Max was in a position where they, they didn't have the right to be there. He wasn't alongside to be given that. You know, having the, as they say, if a car is alongside a car now in modern Formula 1, they have to have a card with. That's why Lando got penalised in Austria. That's why a lot of people mm. get penalised in Austria. Mm. Uh, he wasn't alongside, so he didn't need to have that. He wasn't, he shouldn't have been given the, the racing room. So Hamilton, mm. so and he knew this. That's why. That's why I've kind of steered it towards Louis Verstappen because if he's not allowed to get, if he shouldn't be given that extra the the space. Then that's not a gap because that gap's always going to close, and he should have just went yeah. over the sausage curbs and then tried to chase him down. He knew he was never going to do it, so he kept his car there, and it was only ever going to happen. It looked worse because the sausage curbs launched the car up over. Probably wouldn't have mm. happened. They might have banged wheels. Maybe somebody would have lost a wing. Somebody might have lost uh, a wheel, and somebody would have carried on, uh, or they would have ended up in a similar situation. But Max knew what he was doing. He wasn't ever going to let the two of them come out of that corner unless he was in front. Can I just make one last point though? I know I said you know this is Senna versus Senna, and they're going to go wheel to wheel all weekend, all, all year. I've heard a lot of comments, both from presenters on Sky, which I thought was very unprofessional, and just on Twitter in general, that, you know, Max is such a filthy driver, he does this all the time, he's such a filthy driver, blah, 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 blah. The fact of the matter is that only as of yesterday does Max Verstappen actually have any penalty points on his license. So in the eyes of the FIA, he is not a dirty driver, at least not anymore. He used to be a bit reckless. But in that sense, he's, you know, he, he doesn't do dirty stuff anymore. Look at the penalty points right now. Lando Norris is statistically the most dirty driver on the pit on the field. He's got eight points. Lewis and Max are tied on two, and it's because of those two incidents. Lewis was given it in Silverstone. Max was given it today. Neither of them are dirty drivers. They are aggressive drivers. They fight hard. They don't give an inch. But they are not dirty drivers. I really think that needs, not from any view, but I really think that just needs to be taken out of the rotation of F1 fans' comments every single time either of them does anything that they're dirty drivers. They are not. Yeah. I'm not necessarily a fan of either of them but they are not dirty drivers no well, let's Hamilton fans are going to say that of Max and Max fans are going to say that of Hamilton it, it, it's it's uh, but I think it, it's I, one of those things I, unfortunately I, I think what Sean's kind of saying is that and I noticed it when I had the the, the kind of breakdown of the race on Sky in the background and Johnny Herbert every opportunity basically was trying to get all the guests to go so it was Verstappen's fault then and people are going, yeah, yeah. not quite and, as and, clear and, as that. And, and Damon Hill as well. Like, so, <laughs> uh, Hamilton wouldn't have caused that. That's on Verstappen. Now, I've just said I think it was mostly Verstappen's fault, but he's not a dirty driver. It's just heat of the battle. Mm. It's not. I'm not saying it's 100%. And I think in the chat I've said as well that there's never, there's never a solely 50-50 accident. Very rarely do you have a 50-50. Mm. A lot of the times, the first lap incidents, there probably is proportionate to blame, but they don't tend to penalise on the first lap because it's the first lap. So you're always going to have somebody that was slightly like uh, Hamilton was penalised because he wasn't quite at the apex of the corner in Silverstone. So he got that 10 second penalty uh, and Verstappen's been hit with his penalty because he was in a position where he probably should have backed out. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's very m m small margins. 
but it's still a margin. But the fact, like, I think Massa ended up chinning uh, Herbert because he brought Massa on, and they actually turned up and they were like, Massa actually reined it in and went, no, we're not talking about back then, we're talking about this incident. You can't talk about back at this corner, you can't talk about that. This is this incident. But it was just very, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that Sky pundits are very uh, Hamilton biased, and I'd never really picked up on it until yesterday, and it was really annoying. Uh, they, really, mm-hmm. they really did go down in my estimation, to be honest. But anyway, apart apart from Paul Resta, who is very Max biased, he's he's the he's the opposite end I've, of the. I've, I've, I feel like he he felt he had to be. Mm. I feel like he was the only one thinking with a bit of logic going, lads, this sounds really bad. I'm going to say it was a racing incident while Herbert spewing, no, 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 send Max to jail. Do you know? Hey, but it's good, um, to, it's good to see people bickering on, on television anyway. Kind of, uh, true. <laughs> it, it's good to see the different opinions. Uh, but obviously, it, it, they are British uh, drive ex-drivers. They're British pundits. They are, they are going to have a bias, which they shouldn't, and they should try and be as... Li- uh, as less biased as possible, but unfortunately, they, they sometimes uh, and in the incident yesterday, I, I agree they they were they were quite strongly uh, on the side of uh, of Lewis Hamilton. Um, anyway, uh, what, what what we can all agree on is it is absolutely just making this season even better and better every single race. Every single race we've had something to talk about. Every single race there's been a bit of drama. Every single race we've all just well we've, we've all gone crazy with theories and. Uh, and we've all picked a side on certain things. It's just it's just getting everyone talking. And we can all agree as well that Drive to Survive is probably going to have about hmm. 15 episodes on the Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen debacle anyway. Uh, so let's, let's look forward to kind of any behind-the-scenes stuff of that. Okay, let's move on. Um, I'm going to s- go to each of you. If you can pick somebody else that impressed you. Um, before we wrap up the uh, this part of the review, um, I'll go to Tom first. We haven't heard your beautiful Welsh tones for uh, a few minutes. Um, who, who impressed you in the race yesterday that we haven't spoken about already? Um, Valtteri Bottas. He really impressed me yesterday. Um, he's had a very sort of hit and miss season. Unfortunately, some of the times that should have been hits have ended up being misses. I'm looking at you, Monaco. Um, honestly, Bottas, if he had, I think Martin Brundle once said, if he didn't, you know, if, if he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck at all. Mm. Um, and that, that does seem to be a bit of a running theme for him, unfortunately. I think he's almost at peace knowing that he's got a multi-year deal in place mm-hmm. for Alfa Romeo. Because every year that he's been at Mercedes, it's been a one-year extension and he's maybe not had it wrapped up until sort of like October time or maybe this time. But knowing that knowing that he's moving to, to a different team and he's going to be more sort of like the senior driver, if you like, because obviously he's been Hamilton's sort of like rear gunner, if you like, for, since 2017. Mm. As much as I like Bottas, he hasn't really been in a championship fight, bless him. But he did really well in proper qualifying. Yes, he got a slipstream, but he you know he absolutely sent it purple all three sectors brilliant lap started that started that sprint race really oh, sorry sprint qualifying really well um i i said i said to someone that it, that if if you'd have looked at that race and not known which mercedes driver was in which mercedes car you would have thought that it was hamilton at the front controlling the pace and you would have thought that it was bottas slipping back mm. but to see it the other way around it was it was a very controlled drive from him, and he and he he didn't do anything where he put himself at risk. He just did what he needed to do. We know how strong the Mercedes is going to be around that track, even if Hamilton perhaps made it look a bit hard on Saturday. Mm. Um, Bottas just did really really well. He he looked like he's got a bit of a spring in his step again because I think he knows what's happening in the future. And then on Sunday to come from nineteenth to third, he was at one point he was literally sizing through the field you know he was passing cars left right and centre he was up into the points after about 10 laps mm. then obviously his tyres died off and then safety car and then um, so, some people say he's he sort of held off attacking Perez in my mind the reason he held off is because he was running fourth anyway and he knew Perez had a five place uh, sorry a five second time penalty coming so it wasn't worth the potential damage of, tr- of trying to pass Perez mm. You know, he knew that if he just kept within five seconds of Perez, 
he'd get that third position and that was there for, for the constructors, which is probably what Mercedes wanted of him. Oh, well, they wanted to take more home, more points home than Red Bull and that would have done it. That's all they needed. Um, yeah, and that, and, and that's, exactly, that's exactly what he did. Yeah, he had a great drive. Uh, and as you say, I think that is probably thanks to him feeling a bit more, a bit happy that he's got that multi-year deal. Uh, okay, Sean, who impressed you uh, over the weekend or who, who were you disappointed in if you wanted to go the negative way? Um, I'll give a quick shout out to both Williams drivers. Um, yeah. George Russell, obviously in the points, and I think it says a lot of how mental that race was. That, but also, you know, that once they've broken the duck, now we just kind of, yeah, okay, Williams are in the points. It seems it, it sounds Good. normal now, doesn't yeah. it? It sounds it's it's like McLaren are winning races and Williams are scoring points. We're back in the mid two thousands. Life is normal again. <laughs> um, Formula One makes sense again. Um, I, th- I thought uh, George did a great job um, and getting those points is great. They're, I think the team are up to 22 points now. That That's eighth position secure. Shy of Alpha or Haas winning a race, um, <laughs> which even in the world, like you'd, you'd, need a, you'd need a Monaco 97 for that to happen. Um, I thought, but I also thought Nicholas Satifi drove excellently today. Um, I think Tom mentioned there kind of like the, the, the peace of mind in Bottas knowing that he's got a bit of security. I think that applies to the TV as well. He's broken his duck for points. He's proven that it's not just George in that team. He's contributing to, mm-hmm. um, and I think other than the safety car, he'd have been the one to, to to score the points. I think the timing of the safety car just kind of screwed him a little bit. Um, but and I he think deserves he's excellent. It, and he deserves his seat next year. I think that's important. And that's exactly were, what I was going to say. There I, were a few rumors, well, a few people saying, "Oh, he doesn't deserve to be there." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Blah. Um, I, I've I've thought all season that he deserves his seat for next year. I think. Um, much like Bottas, going up against a talent like George Russell is not easy, especially not in a bad car. But I think Nicholas is a good driver. He is not, I don't think he's just there as a pay driver. I think, quite like Lance Stroll, he kind of came in as a pay driver. But I think he's earned his seat and he's earned his stay in Formula 1. Um, I think he's done more than enough. So, quick shout out to, to both Williams. I think they did really well. But, drivers who unimpressed me and team who unimpressed me was Aston. I thought they were crap. They were crashing into each other. Vettel, you know, got one ding and then lost five places in two corners. They had a rubbish, rubbish weekend. Really bad weekend. I've, I kind of feel bad for them. Um, you know, I heard some some great stories about Vettel being a great person this weekend in in Italy. Um, but uh, just a bad weekend for Aston. I thought both of them weren't, weren't very impressive. Vettel couldn't get on top of it. And Stroll finished in the points. But he, you know, nearly crashed his teammate off the road to get there, which isn't really what you want to see either. I just thought it was a bad weekend for Aston. It just didn't look good. They they were a bit clumsy all weekend. Absolutely. Okay, Coops, same question for you. Did you have a person uh, a person that disappointed you? Did you have a person that really stood out for you, uh, impressed you? No, I, I mean, Sean stole my thunder because I was going to say that I, I quite like the fact that Stroll got into the points. Uh, that's kind of been tempered by what... Sean, how Sean's just finished off his conversation there. Oh, thanks for that, Sean. <laughs> that's, that's fine. I mean, that's, that's fine. Uh, what I will say is Aston Martin, they, they they wrote off Monza from the start of the season because the way they've developed the car, they had far too much downforce on the car. They didn't have a Monza-style setup for uh, for Monza. And they, so they knew that this was going to happen. You know, I think a lot of Formula 1 teams, it's impossible to set your car up to pretty much nail every... Um, almost impossible I think that's why Mercedes are so dominant because they more or less get it right uh, so they kind of wrote off uh, Monza uh, so that's why it kind of impressed me that Stroll got into I think he finished 7th uh, uh, and the fact of that Stroll has got himself that bit of confidence where he can really get and get toe to toe with a 4 time world champion that's his teammate and go for it uh, maybe I was a wee bit clumsy but hey, he didn't knock him off the road. He, he just pushed him slightly to the side. Uh, disappointing, Mazepin. But then, are we ever <laughs> ever happy with him? Uh, He's twenty first in a twenty driver championship. He is. I was just going to say that Robert Kubitz is ahead of him, even though he's not getting any points. He's finished higher than him. But then that's not hard to do, even enough Alfa Romeo against the Haas. Uh, he spun his teammate round. Uh, he did mm. spun him right round. Although almost as ma- as soon as he's, he done it, he came out and said that was totally his fault. Really didn't have much of an option to say anything else. He stuck his nose in, thought he had the corner, but when he stuck his nose in, didn't realise. Well, realised too late that he didn't have the corner. 
smacked the back wheel of the other Haas, spun it round, and he ended up retiring with an engine problem a few laps later. Uh, and during the race, took his t- took his anger out on one of the polystyrene bollards because uh, he just couldn't be bothered going round it properly. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I would have to say Stroll. Uh, just I like the fact that he's in the points. I've said it for most of the season that Stroll deserves to be in Formula One. Is he going to be a world champion? Probably not. But then there's Latifi, and Latifi deserves to be in Formula One. So he's a decent driver. He's a decent. He'll be a decent number two. Vettel will sail off into the sunset, never to be heard of again, because uh, he doesn't do social media. Uh, and Stroll will probably sit in and amongst the kind of midfield, pick up the odd podium and maybe the odd win if some shenanigans happen. And you know, that's a comfortable Formula One career. No, you can't say anything bad about it. So yeah, I'm quite happy with that. Didn't see much of the Aston Martins to be fair, because we were too busy dealing with other stuff. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, I quite liked how they went on. But other than that, Yuki Tsunoda, because the most he did was walk from the grid to the uh, the garage. <laughs> I don't know what the hell Alpha Tauri were up to, but if Carlin can make a bad Formula One weekend, they had it. Because, yeah, they didn't even, Tsunoda didn't even take to the start, and was it five laps in that Gasly pulled in with suspension issues? Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that, was, that was not good, but yeah. Not a good weekend no. for them. Let's talk about something else that we had this weekend, uh, and that was the sprint qualifying on Saturday. Now, Silverstone, everyone was buzzing about the sprint, and they were like, "Yeah, this could work. There could be ways of doing this that could that, that, that could be entertaining." You know, I, I said that you know, say the first seven laps were okay, and the rest of the ten was processional. Uh, I think Coops, you said, yeah, it was worth worth a shot, and it, it did well. Um, this race and this weekend, this sprint qualifying, just did not seem to kind of give us the same level of entertainment. Entertainment, and I guess that's because it was at Monza, a track that isn't superb for overtakes. Uh, I'm going to go over to Tom. What were your thoughts on it? Do you think it was uh, not so not so good? Um, was it worth doing uh, at Monza? Um, I do get the Formula 1 are trying these new things and obviously they're trying them at different circuits that have different characteristics because if we look at Silverstone compared to Monza obviously very different setup types you know, different different challenges all the rest of it Yeah. but I agree with what you just said Silla. the first sort of couple of laps um, were exciting but it, but then once a a sort of effective order had been sorted it was fairly professional. Yeah. I mean, the thing that irritates me about sprint quality is we have the historic or the sort of like known format of qualifying where we have the elimination Q and Q2, Q3. There's nothing wrong with that format. That format works. And and I know F1 tried changing it in 2016 to that sort of like every, and it was a every 90 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, it, was just, it was just an absolute... You know, yeah, disasters to write wood. Um, I don't feel that a sprint event adds a lot, and I know it works in F two, in F three, in others, in other formulae. But those are the formulas. The cars are all the same. Mm. They are they are a spec series. Formula One is not a spec series, and Formula One is as much about the constructors as it is about the drivers. I know it didn't used to be, but it absolutely is now and has been for. Donkey's years, so I. The other issue I have with the, the sprint event is, someone could qualify. Look at Pierre Gasly. Someone could qualify really, really well because Gasly was what fifth, I think, in quali on Friday, and then in in the sprint event, yeah, okay, he he did tap the back of, um, I think he tapped the back of one of the McLarens, but that's because there was such a concertina going into turn one, turn two. He effectively had nowhere to go, and then his and then at that point his front wing became trapped under his car. He was doomed, and then that spat him off into the wall. And again, yes, I know we have accidents in qualifying. We only need to look at Lando Norris from a couple of weeks ago. But to all intents and purposes, it's not a qualifying session; it's a race. They award points for God's sake. Yes, I know they they only award them to the top three. And that's something which Max will take out this weekend. He got he got what, two points when Hamilton didn't get any, even though they both didn't finish the race. 
I that just the fact that they call it a spring qualifying, but they have a race start procedure, they award points, they go around on some weird truck. The fact that they award points for this and they have not a full podium, but they still give out medals and, and they make a big deal out of who finished P1, P2, P3, which is effectively a podium. And then they then do this sort of like weird lap on on some like convertible truck that it looks like it's from Pimp My Ride or something. It's just, yeah, it, 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 just, it just doesn't sit right. And I don't think it's going to fundamentally fix any issues. Because if if we look at the starting grid of the sprint quality, uh, sorry, of the main race yesterday, the only person who was further back down the field was Hamilton. But had that race sort of carried on as it was, Hamilton would have still had to have battled from fifth back to the front anyway. So I don't think an awful lot would have changed. I uh, I I'd sort of agree with you on that. I think I think you make really good points. Like the. I like the idea of trying new things in Formula One for sure. I think, uh, I, th- I think absolutely. If the sport wants to continue to, I mean, look at the new things we've tried that have worked. Halo being the prime example at the moment that we can all think of, um, and obviously the new rules for the cars coming in next year that should have been in this year is trying something new to try and improve the show. Um, I get that, and that's good, and I like that they're trying it. And obviously, having Ross Brown at the helm, we're going to get more stuff like this. My problem with the sprint is it doesn't change the top 10. It makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. If you're going to do it, commit to doing it like Formula 2. Have a reverse grid and not even just a top 10 reverse grid. Have a total reverse grid. Put Mazepin on pole position on Saturday. Put Lewis Hamilton in the pit lane. Do you know, if you're going to do it, make it crazy. Make it worth watching. Make it exciting because you're right. The first three laps were exciting because Hamilton went backwards and Bottas disappeared and the McLaren's got a great start and that was it. That was it. Game over. If they're going to do it, qualifying on Friday should be for the race on Sunday. And on Friday, you get a pole position. You get your DHL pole position tire for Sunday. Saturday, do it like F2. Saturday, you flip things around. But do it like F2 on steroids. Like I said, put the hasses on the front row and see what happens. That'd be exciting. We'd all want to watch that. And again, give like keep it as, you know, give points to the top three. Because that encourages the smaller teams to fight for points. Imagine George Russell versus Mick Schumacher for three points at the end of a race. That would be really exciting. Really exciting. That'd be good for Formula 1. That way all the teams have a chance to score points. I hate seeing at the end of a season that two teams have zero points. You know, that's that's not even good for the show, I don't think. Um, so if they're going to do it, like, if Sprint only benefits the top three. It, it only benefits the top three to get them extra points. And like you said... This weekend, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton crashed out of the actual race, but Max still comes away the big winner because he gets two points over him in the championship, and we've seen championships won by a hell of a lot less than two points. So if they're going to do it longer term, like just commit to it. Just go all out. Flip the whole grid. Have it, make it have no impact on Sunday's race. Um, pole position on Friday for qualifying. The, the grid lines up as it qualifies on Friday. Q2 tires as it should be. And then on Saturday, flip the grid, put everyone mandatory, soft tires, no pit stops unless you break your wing, um, 15 laps, soft tires, go hell for leather and see if Mazepin can win a race. I'd, I'd, I'd want to see that. that. That sounds way more exciting than, oh yeah, the Mercedes are going to disappear again. I, I think he's got, there's a there's a danger of just making it a, a complete gimmick though, and that's and that's not what F1's about. Um, I, I, I just... Like like you said, I appreciate that they're trying to do different things. Um, and it, and at Silverstone, it kind of worked. Um, I just think they need to, if they're going to do it, they need to choose the correct tracks, uh, tracks tracks with overtakes. Um, like maybe maybe they should have tried such Sochi because I think Sochi might have worked a bit better than uh, than than Monza. What were your thoughts, uh, Coops? It's it's a sprint race that's not allowed to be called a race that didn't have much race, and that's that's effect- pretty pretty good summary, really. That's pretty much it. It's. As everyone has said, and I think uh, when I've listened to like the BBC podcast and the pundits there, it's it's not the sprint. What's the sprint going to do? It's not going to upset the the running order. Mm. You know, I mean, to kind of counter Tom's point with Gasly crashing, I mean, someone can get a really great like look at Giovinazzi in the actual race, got himself up to seventh, tripped over somebody, ruined his race. You know that yeah. you know, Gasly binning it in the wall and a call it, you know, because he, he knocked his wing. You know, that can happen at any kind of situation. It's kind of a wee bit, you know, it's not really much to it. But, you know, even the drivers said in Monza, after your first lap, you got into the driving ball, that nothing happened. 
Yeah, yeah. I put up on the Twitter, I put up a, a quick poll. Uh, only 44 people uh, voted, not only, but 44 people voted, so thanks for voting. 11% loved it, 27% were undecided, 61% hated it. And it was basically, uh, we've had two sprint races in inverted commas, what do people think? This was pretty clear, it's not worked, and the, the idea they've worked on it, and I think, as you've touched on, it needs to be on a track that it'll work for it. I think Silverstone was different because it's the first ever sprint race. Sprint qualifying, not race. Uh, and they get these silly wee medals as well. Did you see them? I didn't know they got them. Uh, <laughs> I think that was just because they had the runners there, wasn't it, from the Olympics? Uh, and it, it made sense. I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, or maybe they did for the first one. I didn't notice it at Silverstone. No, did I? But yeah, again... Uh, no, they had, the, they had the wreaths, didn't they, at Silverstone? That's right. They did, they had the, uh, well, that's because Silverstone was, like, it's the first ever grow, and that's what they got in the first ever race. Yeah. So, okay, fair so they must get some something unique to each... Each country that they're but in, or something yeah, like yeah, that, maybe. The sprint or... race is not supposed to be a gimmick, but then everything's a gimmick about it. The medals, the wreaths on this stupid wee truck, and then the actual qualifying event is not a race. I mean, it, it, it kind of happened in Silverstone. I think we kind of we were looking at it from uh, you know rose tinted glasses for Silverstone. Other than uh, is it Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari getting touched and spiraling off into the barrier? Not a lot else happened in the sprint qualifying at Silverstone. Uh, that was, su- you know, it, you know, it, nothing. It, the, the same. The, the fastest cars were up the front. The slowest cars were down the back. We had somebody trip off. The first one it was Saints. The second one it was Gasly. They were a wee bit out of kilter. Uh, it didn't do much. And uh, yeah, I thought that the first time round. I thought I'll give it another shot. Again, Monza mm. didn't do anything. I think they're still talking about Brazil. If Brazil happens, that that will be the next one they'll have the sprint. Potentially, that Brazil could could cause a wee bit of an issue. But again, all it's going to do is cause people to trip over each other. Mm. Do you know when it would have worked a bit better? It would have been kind of three or four years ago when the tires degraded if you looked at them wrong. Yeah. Um, and the car, the car, the car, yeah, and the cars had a much stricter fuel flow limit. So the whole race was. Save your tires, save your fuel, save your tires, save your fuels. It wasn't racing. It was the Mercedes disappeared and turned everything off, and everyone else was had turned everything off as well. Nowadays, the cars run pretty much flat out through the race anyway. The tires last forever, and the fuel flow has been increased, so they can run at higher revs and higher engine modes for much longer and run it. F- you don't really hear anyone be told to turn your engine down. We need to save fuel, except that you know Vettel should have been in Hungary because he didn't have enough fuel. Um, but for the most part, you don't hear that anymore, and I think. For, for that reason, like the idea of sprint that, you know, they can go flat out hell for leather for 15, 18 laps and, they, you know, they'll just wreck their tyres. They do that anyway in the races. It it would have made more sense a few years ago when the tyres were more delicate and there was, you know, much more restriction on fuel um, because having that hell for leather would have made a huge difference. I don't think it makes much sense in its current format now. It makes more sense next season if what they say about the regulations mean they can race closer. Yes, I completely agree. If, if if everything works out the way that the models all say it will next season and there's, what, 80%, they only lose like 10 or 50% downforce following a car, then you will see passing everywhere. Everywhere. All the time. And in fact, you'll have Except what, Monaco. Well, yeah. We have, what, <laughs> 15 laps where they don't have to really watch their tyres. They're all on the same tyres. You're going to have an F2-style race, proper race, with Formula 1 cars and they're swapping positions and defending and I mean, it could end up being a cluster. And it's even good. I mean, the worst cluster you could ever have is having Mazepin in first place. I mean, you've seen the way he defends on a straight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's allowed to do that, but if you have a Mercedes going that fast and he weaves in front, my God. Uh, anyway, but, you know, but the thing is, trying something that just isn't working, they need to cut their losses. So they need to do Brazil, then look at it and decide, right, maybe not. Mm. In COVID, I think Ross, else. It, it, it's a, it's an idea Ross Brown's going to go with though. Uh, from from what I saw of the interview after, you know, it might need tweaks. It might need this, that, and the other. Um, but I think he's committed to uh, to continuing with 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 the trial next year as well. Well, I, I think so, that's a smart thing. It's the new regulations. Let's see if these regulations do what we think they're going to do. Uh, the whole year next year is itself a trial <laughs> yeah. Formula 1 I mean, it's yeah, a complete unknown you imagine if you go to Australia if Australia happens next year and we have one pass 
just a normal pass and it doesn't change anything. Oh no! Yeah, those cha- those changes to the tracks they say uh, will will Im- improve races. They won't. <laughs> they won't. They've taken away two braking zones. It's not going to improve the racing at all. Some of the corners wider. They've made one section really fast. Uh, well, the only the only upside to that is again, if this new regulations allow the cars to follow the way they follow, then you're going to be in a very fast section into a very tight. A right hander which is wider to allow two cars to get side by side through the corner then potentially it'll work uh, but you know I would keep it for next season three maybe four races next season if we have 23 uh, with the new regulations and I think by the end of next year with a, maybe a couple of minor tweaks uh, then you know we'll have a look at it again there's two things about this year this year is such a close championship between Verstappen and Hamilton I don't want Verstappen or Hamilton to win it because they got the points from the sprint races and I also mm. don't want them to win it by half a point because nobody raced on Sunday and they were given points for the qualifying positions in Spa. Yeah, yeah, the only two reasons terrible. I wouldn't want that to happen. So, I mean, imagine Verstappen winning by 0.5 because they all sat in the rain on Sunday. Wow. Mm. You know, that's... Uh, they'll be, that's not a fair championship win, is it? It's not good. But, well, it wouldn't be. Hamilton Hamilton fans will say there needs to be an asterisk against Verstappen's name uh, and vice versa. Uh, no, it's a legitimate championship. It's just an unfair way to finish it off. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not a lot else they could have done. I don't know how they had to call it under the way the regulations were written. They've committed to changing that. So we'll see what they do for that for the future. Probably won't ever happen again in our lifetime. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't like it. I didn't like the f- I didn't like it. Silverstone particularly was on the fence, and it's nailed it for me. Not fine. Right, and uh, and I I still have the same opinion uh, that I did at Silverstone, so it doesn't need repeating. Um, and maybe the sprints don't need to be repeating, but we'll 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 at least be seeing one more this season. Uh, we think, uh, and that may be in Brazil, uh, albeit yeah, that's if COVID doesn't destroy that race altogether. Anyway. Also, what happened this weekend, uh, during the Monza race weekend, Sean got to sit down with Jessica Hawkins uh, and interview her. What were you, what was your thoughts on the interview, uh, Sean? Uh, Jessica is lovely. Uh, I'd like to thank her again for coming on with us. We had a very good chat. Um, talked about her career to date, how she got where she is, her thoughts on the W Series and how she actually changed her mind. She was a bit hesitant at it at first and how she's kind of changed her approach to it now that she's in it. Um uh some of her work outside of w series which you know i think you should listen along she tells some cool stories and a really nice story about her relationship with uh sebastian vettel um obviously she's part of the aston martin team now um she told me a lovely story about uh an experience she had with with, with vettel on a track walk in monza this weekend which was the kind of thing you'd expect from sebastian vettel um you know, after his picking up trash, this was a really nice story and just kind of adds to the to the to the good guy image that he has. And by all accounts, he's he's the nicest guy in Formula One. And this story really added to that. So thanks very much, Jessica, for sharing that. And yeah, yeah, be sure to 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 tune into to that special interview. Yep. So we're going to be releasing the special interview with Jessica Hawkins towards the end of the week. Uh, but for now, we're going to give you a little sneak peek to whet your appetite to tune in later in the week when it goes live. Here it is. I walked the track with Seb yesterday and we got to about halfway around and one of the teams said to me, oh, Jess, there's the, there's the banking over there uh, because I'd never been, I've never been here before. And um, I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Cool, that's so much history. Um, and Seb turned around and he said, what? You've never been here before? <laughs> like, no, I've never been here before. I said, oh, I must take you to the, to, to, to the banking. And then at the end of the track walk, he um, took me to the banking and we went over there. And what a guy. What wow. guy. He cares about his team that much, you know, that he, he takes takes he takes me to see the banking because I've never seen it before. And I think that's just typical Seb. He cares a lot about his team and people around him. And uh, what a guy. That's good to hear. Because um, obviously we see a lot of pictures of him picking up trash and stuff like that. Um, but some can be a bit cynical and say, oh, he's only doing it for a photo op. He doesn't have social media, so I always doubted that. But it's always Absolutely. nice to hear the inside. Absolutely. There's 
zero chance of that of that there is no chance of that being just for a photo that is him another story he stopped on track yesterday because there was a generator power power a big generator powering a an led sign he stopped the people and said can we turn this off because there is nobody here to look at the sign there's nobody looking at the sign so i think can, can we turn it off um and they weren't allowed to, to turn it off, but nevertheless, he was saying, oh, I'm going to come and turn it off later because he genuinely cares about everything that he says he cares about. Um, mm. um, and his, his, his press officer, I'm sure, won't mind me saying that um, when he comes to do his briefings, um, Matt Bishop, when Matt Bishop gives Seb his media briefings, sometimes Matt will come with it written on a bit of paper and Seb will say, oh, why have you got it written on a bit of paper? We've got it on our phone. Um, so even silly things like that, like he genuinely cares about the environment and he genuinely cares about everything that he says he cares about. And it, honestly, he's one of the most incredible people I've ever met. That was a great story. And it's great to hear uh, those sorts of things from behind the scenes in the F1 world. I think that's pretty much everything we need to talk about today in the Everything F1 podcast. Thank you very much for listening for all of our listeners. Uh, thank you very much for my panel for joining me today. We will see you next week for our preview of the Sochi Grand Prix. Thank you very much, yeah. and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.